Okay, well, I have some... Can you say what I said? Because I'm talking too much. No, you said it! I can't speak for your experience. Your experience <laughs> is your experience. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to whitewash your experience. <laughs> okay, let's talk about privilege then and just like checking ourselves. Okay. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today on Visible Minorities, I have Emily Chen, my past co-president of the Sociology Students Association. She is currently working in community development and organizes cultural events and youth leadership programs. Today, we cover topics that some people may not actually be comfortable to honestly talk about. We go through Emily's experiences as a halfie, our opinion on opinions, white people jokes and reverse racism, and who's allowed to talk in conversations. We really go into these topics and try to dig deeper into each other's thoughts. My name is Cecilia Federizon and you're listening to Visible Minorities. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm a mixed heritage person. My dad is Chinese. My mom is white. I am born and bred from Vancouver, East Vancouver. I... Um, study sociology, I'm now working in community development, mostly with events and youth programming and logistics and project coordination and everything in between. Yeah. And, and you graduated last year. Mm. A year before me. 16. Yeah. You know better than I. You should have <laughs> that introduction. <laughs> but how we met was really cool mm. because... We were both elected as a Sociology Students Association co-presidents. Yeah. And we had no idea who we were, who each other were. We didn't know each other. We didn't know each other at all. And we clicked instantly because of our first meeting in the cafe. <laughs> it's like, okay, I like lists. Do you like lists? <laughs> yes, I like lists. Let's do an Excel spreadsheet. And then <laughs> set an agenda for this meeting. <laughs> yeah. And so after that, we just kind of, we just clicked. Because mm. then even after work, we even got very personal. And we developed an, a beautiful friendship. Yes. Yeah. And then we went to Anaheim last, uh, I guess, this summer. So you mentioned you were half, and we talked a lot about this too, um, and the fact that there's kind of like this in-betweenness that you feel, and I also feel an in-betweenness too. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk more about that? Mm -hmm. So it's funny because I was just talking about this when I was telling people I was at a meeting beforehand and telling mm -hmm. them I was going to come to this, and it was me who's ethnically mixed, mm -hmm. and another girl from my high school who is... Uh, she's not that complicated. Parents are from Vietnam, but speak Chinese, and so she, oh, okay. but they're both in the same category. And I have a lot of friends like that. Oh, so she yeah. Herself mixed, although racially, you would say that she's not by blood. By blood, she's, yeah. Both her parents are under the same, but they themselves are kind of between these two cultures. Right. And then you had um, a white woman, and how she doesn't feel mixed. But it was this really interesting, like, oh, we're all kind of confused. A oh, bit. she's also confused, a white woman? No, I guess she's not confused, but she brought up some complexities of being a white person. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was in interesting. I was talking about, I guess I kind of had three phases of my experience as a mixed person, because mm -hmm. when I was young, I just thought, 
oh, I have a mom and a dad. Like, you don't think, oh, I look different or my culture is different than anyone else. You just think, this is the norm, right? Right. And it wasn't until, we've talked about this before, it wasn't until I was in high school that my friends created a group called Women of Color Mm. and didn't include me. And it wasn't because they didn't think of me as Women of Color. They didn't include me. It was for other reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But that really shook my whole world and realized, kind of thought of myself, do I identify as a woman of color or don't I? Mm -hmm. And it was this, oh my gosh, I'm different. I'm not fully Asian because everyone at my school, pretty much everyone at my high school was Chinese or some kind of Asian. Yeah. And so I just always thought I'm just that. Yeah. So then there was this, yeah, so I guess the second phase was I'm fully Asian. Mm -hmm. And then there was that, which made me think maybe I'm not fully Asian. And then there was the maybe I'm neither Asian nor white. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know where I'm at now. I guess I'm still feeling like I'm I'm neither of the two. Right. Because I remember when I first asked you to be part of the podcast, you're very hesitant mm-hmm. because you said you don't identify as a visible minority. But then you also said that you identify more with your Chinese heritage. Mm. Um, why do you identify more with your Chinese heritage? I don't think I identify with the heritage. Uh-huh. But I would say maybe I identify as Chinese more. And that's only because okay. I grew up in a high school where there were a lot of Chinese. Right. And Asian. Mm-hmm. So I just always thought that that was who I am. Did that influence your honors thesis research? I guess maybe give us a brief overview of what you did for your Mm -hmm. honors research. So, it all, I feel like the interesting part of the thesis is how it started, because I was in class, and Rima said, take a look around the room and and realize who's talking and who's not talking right now, and that blew my mind, because we learned about the theories, but we don't necessarily think about how it's affecting you in that space. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my God, it's all the white guys and then some white women speaking. This is insane. Everyone in the class that racialized or people of color are not talking as much. Yeah. And so my research was I went into a bunch of classrooms and marked down who was raising their hand to speak. Mm-hmm. And it was in the four categories of racialized men, racialized females, white men and white females, mm-hmm. noting that, of course, that's really problematic in itself, because it's really binary, there's a whole yeah. range, you can't assume people are certain cultures, certain genders, like, it, that was a, a really big uh, bias. Limitation? Limitation of the research. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was partly thinking, oh, because I have a bit of, because well, I, I have half Asian in me, maybe mm-hmm. that's why I don't talk in class. That was a big thing, and then just really interested to see if it's just this class or just all the classes. Right. Did you feel that way in your classes? Um, well, when I TA'd, it was definitely very clear that the most vocal were the white guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think I would have noticed that unless you told me. So, Mm -hmm. it was because of your honor thesis and you talking about, you know, what you're observing, 
that I also observed that while I was um, teaching my discussions. Mm. Like, all of them. Well, actually, there was one discussion that didn't have a white guy, but it was still a racialized guy who talked the most. Mm. Um, so it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, for me, talking in class, like, the first half of undergrad, I feel like this is the most cases for a lot of people, is that I didn't talk as much because I felt like if I say something, it's going to sound stupid. And then and then I made a goal for myself and would say, okay, I have to talk at least once in every class. Mm-hmm. And then once I do that, I have succeeded. And so once I did that, I got more comfortable talking in class. And I felt like when I did talk, it was about a personal experience or an observation. And it wasn't anything like factual. So right. if the teacher asked, oh, does anyone know what reverse racism is? I wouldn't answer it. Even, like, in fourth year, because I didn't want to be wrong or explain it incorrectly. It was mostly like, oh, if I had an anecdote to support whatever the teacher was saying or whatever another student was saying, that's when I would say something. And do you think that that... Why do you think you talked more about experiences than facts? I was scared to be... I think I was more so... Oh, I don't know. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was scared to be wrong in front of everyone. And also, I guess because personal experiences, you're you're the one who can... Like, you're going to be right because it's your personal experiences. That kind of thing. Yeah. I'm just thinking some people will probably feel like they don't want to share their experiences because maybe they feel like their experiences aren't valid. And so they'd rather talk more about mm, yeah, facts. I thought about that, too. Does that mean I'm arrogant and so no. No, no, it's just what people are comfortable talking about. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess because I am very open about myself anyway. Like, when I meet someone new, like, I don't really think of the consequences of opening up too much. Yeah. And it it could be good and bad cuz I guess good is that they trust me more if I open up mm-hmm. and then they can also open up, but bad is that, you know, if they're not the right person, they can totally just like Mrah! I did some kind of kill motion <laughs> cuz no one can see. <laughs> Insert emoji. Yeah. <laughs> cuz there this is kind of a touch thing to say. But there's obviously white privilege, right? Mm-hmm. That, you, that you're able to talk, people will listen, that you'll get things in life easier than someone who's not white. Mm-hmm. But I also think when you're in a class of sociology, there's a certain amount of privilege of being a person of color. Mm. Because white people are told to not talk. Mm-hmm. And so they might be more willing to talk about facts and less about their experiences because they want to silence themselves. Like white people or racialized people? White people. Oh, I it see. It could be it could be as you get higher up. And that cuz I'm just saying it came up in some of the interviews. Either there's someone who's white or someone who's a male mm-hmm. or someone that's a white male <laughs> even yeah. more is like is very conscious of the fact that they don't want to take up too much space. Yeah. And so they're very conscious of limiting how much they're sharing so that people of color who don't usually have the space to talk can talk. 
Right. So, yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic that the people of color almost have a that privilege that they mm-hmm. don't need to feel like they're taking up uh, but then they inherently feel like they're taking uh, it's a complicated thing yeah it's it's only for the people that are really um trained to think about white privilege and it's only in those spaces i would say that people of color have yeah. a certain amount of privilege that they don't need to think about the space they're taking up yeah does that make sense? That it's does kind make of sense. Problematic. I know what I'm saying is problematic. But yeah. Like, <laughs> does it make any sense? No, I I, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> I don't think it's racist, and okay. I feel like, um, because what you're saying is that because it is in that space where white people are trained not to talk, so that people of color can talk. So in that scenario, people of color are privileged. Because they don't have to censor themselves as much. Mm-hmm. But again, that is just in that one context. Because yeah. then when you bring it to a bigger, you know, bigger thing, that's like a very rare space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess like you are very lucky to have that space, like as a person of color, to be able to talk about your experiences and not have to censor yourself. But then again, when you enter into the real world, where... We don't talk about all of this stuff um, constantly. Mm-hmm. It's not a privilege because that's our everyday thing, and that's just like a small little thing of you know. It's just school. Yeah, it's or really left wing. Yeah, panels and conferences and stuff. Yeah, but I guess the reason it's on my mind is because as someone that's mixed, I feel like I don't have the privilege in the mainstream I don't have the oh how do I say this okay in the mainstream I don't feel like I have the privilege of being a white person in that I have the confidence to say what I want I feel like I feel like a racialized person in that situation where I don't have the I don't think my opinions are valid or I don't think I can say in the right way or I think I'll be looked down upon and I'm sure there's gender and racial um areas pulling into that Mm -hmm. but on the same side I also don't feel like I can be on a panel talking about race because I'm not fully a person of color I see and so I don't have either of those two privileges yeah or I'm doing quote-unquote privileges yeah yeah Yeah. and that's why it's it's kind of this like neither neither positives yeah okay as someone who is like it's very clear I'm not white. I always saw half people. I, I guess it, it might be just a Filipino culture too, where halfies are praised to be. Um, and I don't. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like halfies are very um, well regarded because oh, they're half white, and even how I was raised, I always thought that halfies were better. Because at least they had some white. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting because it seems like Filipino people Filipino people have pride in being Filipino. See, I think this is where it becomes complicated because the Philippines was a colony, right? First by the Spanish and then by the Americans. And because the American... This is just my hypothesis. And from, like, my experiences of other Filipinos and my family is that 
I don't know, white people were just, like, gods. Mm. That's how I always saw it. Um, and that's how it always felt like if you... There's this word, um, mestiza, or mestizo. I don't know if there's a boy version, but mestiza is, like, half white, half Filipino, and they're, like, beautiful goddesses, basically. And that's what everyone looks for in the Filipino stars. They have fair skin. So I always thought that because you... Of course, this is just a very (laughs) superficial view that I grew up with, is that Mm -hmm. if you have whiteness in you, you are therefore privileged. And I think it was only in university when I thought, oh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I always felt how, because I had a a half Filipino, half white friend in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And we always said, oh, you're not Filipino, you're like white. Or maybe that's just like what I was thinking. But I think we always acted like that towards her. But we always said that she was beautiful as well. So then now I think, oh, how does that make her feel then? What did we do to her identity? And like, how does she feel about it? Like, we don't really talk anymore but I wonder like what kind of impact that had as kids I'm sure it had a big impact yeah yeah so that yeah this is me talking about an experience that I have no (laughs) experience on yeah but you went on the other side which is still a valid experience that you had yeah Anyways, I forgot we were just talking about being half, right? Or you being half yeah. in your experiences. Yeah, and I hear that all the time, that mixed people are supposed to be beautiful. Yeah. It comes up all the time. It's probably the most common thing I hear. Mm-hmm. People are mixed. Yeah. Which is a lot to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even in Hollywood, too, I forgot what the movie was. Well, then again, it's like all, it's just Asian washing. But like, if there's an Asian main character, it's like either played by a white person or a halfie. Yeah. Never a full Asian. Yeah. Did you know that there was a protest uh, about Mulan? Not a protest, but like an uproar that Mulan's um, Captain Shang in the new live action one was gonna be a European oh yeah yeah (sighs) yeah but they announced that all the characters are gonna be Chinese yes thank god yeah at least that's a little effort for Disney I'm so excited to see Mulan I know I know I hope well I was gonna say sorry I just write down before I forget what when you say something that reminds you of something yeah um when you said that when you were younger, you thought that having white in you creates privilege. That's still a thing. Like, that is true. Mm. That having white in you pushes you more towards the white privilege side. Yeah. Like, there's complexities in it, but a, a person who's mixed definitely has more racial privilege than someone who's not mixed. Mm-hmm. It's just a bit more confusing. But I think that's still true. Okay. Yeah. But then it also goes the other way, like the one-drop method. Oh, yeah. The one-drop rule, which is if you have any racialized blood in your family line, then you are therefore a person of color. But, of course, person of color wasn't even a term then. You're, like, dirty blood, basically. Yeah. Um, Also, mm -hmm. so it's interesting that you said mixed people are highly endeared in the Philippines, 
because my cousin was visiting from Australia and we were in the car and she pointed out this guy she thought was cute and I said, oh, he looks like he's mixed, which is always a really exciting thing for me because I'm like, finally someone else who's culturally confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same boat. Yeah. I feel so connected whenever I see a mixed person. Like, brown hair. Where the parents? Yes. Mixed child. <laughs> um, anyway, we saw this guy. I said, oh, he must be mixed. And then she, like, kind of smacked me. And she's like, you can't just say someone's mixed. That's racist. And then I looked at her and said, isn't it racist to say that that's racist? <laughs> and then she had this sudden realization and said, oh, yeah, I guess that is true. But in Australia, it's racist to call someone mixed. Oh. Why? Because I guess inherently it's seen as a bad thing. Oh, that's so interesting. I always find it weird that, like, whenever um, people who aren't used to talking about different oppressed identities, like, they're like, you know, like, gay. Mm. Or, you know, black. They, like, whisper suddenly, and then I'm like, and I just laugh because that's kind of racist because you already, or not racist or, like, homophobic, a little bit. Of course, it's not intended, but it's like, you're scared to say it. Why are you scared? Is it a bad thing? Is that why you're whispering? Because usually you say bad things when you whisper. Mm. So it's, Yeah. I think in those cases, if they're saying it, it's because they're worried about... It's not that, they're, it's not that they think it's a bad thing to say it, but they're very conscious of saying the wrong thing. Mm. They're worried about sounding offensive. Mm-hmm. That's true, I too. Think that, I think that's probably the more, more, thing, more of the thing. Because if there's a lot of, oh, I'm allowed to say the word gay because I grew up hearing you don't say that's so gay and so but if you're talking about someone who is actually gay can you use the word gay is that okay and you're not supposed to call someone black but can you call someone black now and or do you say person of color you can't say colored person you can say person of color like there's a whole thing that if someone's not in the realm especially they're talking to someone who is embedded in the realm oh yeah of social justice and the left and progressive talk and everything yeah i could see oh, that's them being true. a little like i want to talk about this but i don't know how Oh, that is true. I I feel like I I guess that's true. Maybe I was too judgy. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough because it yeah. comes easy to people that have been studying it for so long. And yeah, we're, we're up on the lingo. <laughs> yeah. But it's the that's only so true. way they can talk about it, mm-hmm. and it gets so much worse when you bring in indigenous conversations. People just completely clam up, oh. like they don't like talking about it because they're so worried about saying the wrong thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because even for me, I feel very worried to talk about trans issues because I am not trans, Mm. but I want to learn and talk about it and see what I can learn from it. Yeah. Thank you for confronting my, what's it called, (laughs) judgments or, or... (sighs) Those things. That not to say that I'm right. I know, maybe, but maybe it, they were checking checking myself. Thank you for a lot for checking me. Yes, Gosh, you girl. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, okay, we're gonna take a break. Okay. So 
during our little break, we had a little debrief session, as usual, <laughs> when it comes as to both of us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of the things that we talked about is, I guess, checking ourselves and, like, because it is being recorded and it is going to be a public piece of media, I am worried that I said something wrong where I just judged someone or a situation in which, like, they were racist or homophobic, but really, maybe they're just feeling something. Um, they just don't know how to talk about it. And for me, I, I guess just from, like, our conversation just now in our little break, it's because I judged someone so quickly that that's what made me kind of feel sad. Because I guess as, like, that that is the problem with the lefty side is that you think you're all powerful and all knowing and you know the correct way of living or not correct way of living but you know what's good for the human race so therefore you are always right and i guess i'm really scared of being that person and i i guess i was in that moment and so now we were talking about like checking ourselves i talked a lot do you want to add it you didn't really it was like a one minute thing that wasn't that much I feel like, I mean, can we say that you wanted to cut out? Like, you're, that you're thinking of cutting it out? Yes. Yeah. Was I thinking of cutting it out? I don't know. Were you thinking about cutting it out? I feel like the thought would have crossed your mind. No, I don't think I was thinking of cutting it out. I was just worried that people will judge me. Right. Yeah. Will judge me for judging people. And then that's what we were talking about during the break, I think. Yeah. That... That those conversations need to be public to show that even people who graduated in sociology really recently, went mm-hmm. through all these years, consider ourselves progressive, are part of progressive organizations. Like, people that from an outside would seem, yeah, pretty left. Like, pretty yeah. clearly left. Um, still get confused about the language to use and want to sound, feel like we always need to sound progressive. Mm, but are yeah. forgetting that for a lot of people, it's not that... They don't want to have progressive thoughts, and they don't want to know about that side of the opinion, but that they just don't know the words. Yeah. And so, like, the people that you talk to, right? Like, maybe those people will listen to this podcast who felt like they needed to whisper. Yeah. That category of person will hear this and say, oh, even someone who categorizes themselves as progressive still feels really... Um, conscious about the, the words that they use and sometimes might use a word that's problematic and then I like when I called people of color privileged it, it's a very specific group of people in a very specific situation yeah and it's only because of my specific racial identity which again is very specific yeah like, it's super niche here niche <laughs> <laughs> as possible it's only in that specific niche that I think they have a certain amount of small amount of privilege, right? Yeah. But to someone just listening, like, oh my god, you just call people of color privilege, that is so problematic. And yeah, yeah it is, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. It's an opinion. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a val... It's an opinion, and therefore it's inherently valid. Mm-hmm. And that goes over the entire scale of left or right. Mm-hmm. If you have an opinion, it's valid, it might be problematic, and that's why you need to talk about it. Like the free speech people. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, even with them, they have an opinion. Yeah. I think that opinions cross the line 
when they become racist, homophobic, hateful, yeah, xenophobic, bigoted, anything of those like things. And I don't know if a, does that does that mean it gets rid of its validity? I always thought so. Because I recently listened to a podcast and they were talking about like freedom of speech. These freedom of speech people who use it as an excuse to say hateful, racist, misogynist, all the ists mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They use it as an excuse to say it. And um, these podcast hosts talk about how freedom of speech started in Berkeley so that the government won't censor what we say or our opinion so that there's a diverse kind of thing. And, like, I think everyone believes in freedom of speech, and I feel like even the lefties who listen to these types of things or talk about these things value freedom of speech because we wouldn't be able to talk about these types of things. Like, I guess it's it's a very repeated thing that we have to say that we do value freedom of speech. It's just that it's funny when, not even funny, but kind of just stupid, how it's used to say really crappy things that continue to oppress people. Mm-hmm. When freedom of speech should be liberating people. Yeah, that's my opinion. Okay, they don't see that it's a systemic issue and that microaggressions are still felt by people of color because of these laws. The Chinese head tax, um, residential schools, these are all like Canadian examples, but it's still there. Like, those were laws. And because they were laws, that's what people valued and therefore discriminated some people against. Yeah, and maybe just to finish off the conversation about the valid opinions, maybe they're allowed to have that opinion to a certain degree because they grew up with all those systemic privileges. Like, their parents were, I mean, if likely, I guess, can you say likely homophobic? Likely racist? Yeah. If If the child has that and now they're an adult, right? Yeah. They probably grew up in a society where... That's what you believed. You said stuff like, oh, I don't want, like, I'm not racist, but there are a lot of Indians in this neighborhood now. You yeah. know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Those things where you don't think you are racist and you know, like, oh, maybe I'm towing some kind of line. And you can go up to that point. But if you are saying something that's racist, it's okay to have that opinion up to the point of saying it and someone giving you feedback on that. Once you're told that it's racist, once you're told it's problematic or xenophobic or all those things, then it's not okay anymore. Yeah. Because they're still operating under their experiences and what they were taught. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay to have that opinion until someone brings up that you are, calls you out on it, and then it's not okay anymore. Right. Yeah. I was going to say someone who... Sorry, go. No, go. You first. Um, I was going to say that someone who's racist is not necessarily a bad person, but I think of someone like Trump. Bad person. I yeah. think most people would just say, like, really horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but inherently bad because he's been told 
by millions of people that he's him and the administration that he's running mm-hmm. is problematic and racist and marginalizing and oppressing people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's where I would say the line is. Um, so we're talking about whiteness and reverse racism and that it doesn't exist. Yeah. And... Reverse racism doesn't exist. Yes. Whiteness exists. (laughs) (laughs) There are no white people in the world. Um, and yeah, so reverse racism is the idea that... Oh, I always get that. The double negatives mess me up. But that you can be racist towards white people. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And the the argument that we're making, you can agree with me if you Yes, I, I do. Yes. You were the I one who changed my mind about reverse racism, actually. Really? Yeah. I remember it so clearly. It was in the night market. Okay. And you asked me if, do you think reverse racism exists? And I was like, I guess so, because... White people can get hurt with stereotypes, too. And then you said, you don't see it, you don't think reverse racism exists because to you racism means oppression. Like, it's very systemic and it's institutionalized. Like, white people will not get fired over a white people joke. Mm -hmm. Whereas Chinese or black people or indigenous people, if there's a joke made about them... That's a very real situation. So, like, making a joke, oh, ha-ha, Indian welfare queen. Mm-hmm. Like, that. that's super problematic because that actually happens. People don't think that indigenous people should deserve welfare because they're just going to use it and spend money on, like, I don't know, for pleasure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our welfare system doesn't give them enough to live. So that's... You changed my mind on that. I remember this conversation Yeah, now, but I totally forgotten about it. Yeah. 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 So I think what we decided then was that white people can experience discrimination. Yeah. <clears throat> like, they can still experience pain, right? You can still cross the line and make a white person feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Some of those things are okay. In a certain situation, it's good to make people feel uncomfortable and question themselves a little bit. Yeah. But they can't experience racism because it's not institutionalized. Yeah. Yeah. And... I don't think white people are oppressed. (laughs) Yeah. Because I've had a lot of conversations with friends saying that, you know, white people jokes are oppressive to white people. And then I always have to explain, well, it's not really oppressing because it's... (laughs) It's not really oppressing because... They're not going to lose their job for it. Just saying it again. Like, they don't face it every day like people of color do. Mm -hmm. They don't face this discrimination every day. And it's not institutionalized. It's not made into laws. It has never been made into a a law that, you know, you're going to be taxed because you're you're a white person. Mm -hmm. And, or of European descent. It was always just, always favored if you're white. And so, therefore, they cannot be oppressed. What's an example of a white person joke? Like, um, I guess when they say something ignorant, it's like, huh, white people. That kind of thing. Oh, and you're saying that that is or is not okay? 
people have said it is not okay because it it hurts their feelings and i i don't know actually for me because i know it sounds horrible it's like oh yeah that's okay because you know it's systemic and you know at the end of the day they're not gonna get hurt but you know as an individual of course they're gonna get hurt like not all white people are ignorant and i but guess all white people have privilege yes but what about white jokes Okay, let, let's think of other white... Okay, what, here's wait. an example that happened today. Okay, yes. Okay, well, wait, I need to write something down because I need to talk to something afterwards. Okay, wait, wait. Okay. White people jokes. And I feel like also because you do have whiteness in you, you have... I don't know if this is a problematic thing to say, but because you have whiteness in you, you're able to talk more about it. But you're also yeah. half, which is not the same experience. Yeah. So I guess I have privilege. I mean, I do have privilege. I I don't know in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what happened today? Yeah, is today we were at a. Um, it was a showcase for a new development that was happening in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. To be specific. Um, in Vancouver, and we were at the show home thingy, and they had this model of what it was gonna look like, and they had these little people, and. My friends and I were looking at it and like, hmm, lots of white people. I was thinking I had lots of white people. I was like, is there anyone who's not white? And then there was a lady who had a turban. And then I, I like pointed out, I was like, look, they have a black, or they have a woman in a turban. And then they're like, and then we were looking for all the people who are people of color, pointing out, and then we we're joking. And this is with a lady who is white, and then with my friend that is like Vietnamese Chinese. Yeah. And. We're like, oh yeah, this place is not oppressive. Look, they have a couple people of color. <laughs> White privilege is not a thing here, people. Not a thing. <laughs> so like, like, very I sarcastic. guess that would be yeah. I guess that would be a white joke. Yeah, I think so too. But I think what talk, I think joke about your privilege is hilarious. I, don't know, I know. <laughs> I think it's funny too, but because uh, but it's, it's yeah. Is but, it insulting to talk about privilege? I mean, this is. Yes, go. Okay, no, you go first. No, you go. I always go first. Okay, fine. So, if someone were to make a straight joke to me, would I feel bad? Would you? I don't know. I guess I'm thinking of, like, my privilege. Yeah. And... I don't know. I might, actually. Well, maybe not straight, but I think more, like, girly. Mm-hmm. If someone were to make fun of my voice, like, ah, like, like this shrill is already a sexist thing, but like very high pitched. Yeah. I would feel bad. But then again, that is already because I'm a woman and a woman is already like, you know, downgraded. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm not thinking of good examples. Straight is the best example, I think. Yeah. The highest privilege. My highest privilege. wealth of going to university. Yeah. that. I, I do think I would feel bad because I know that I am privileged and not a lot of people are able to go to university and go on all these trips that I go to. So I guess in high school, people would kind of tease me, oh, you're just going to New York for a weekend. Look at you, like that kind of stuff. And I think now I don't think I... I would feel a little bad, but I would know that it's okay because... It's true. Mm-hmm. I am lucky to go to New York, even if it's just for a weekend. 
And even though when I said, oh, I'm going to New York for a weekend, I meant it as I tried to make it as small as possible. Like, I'm only going there for three days. Mm -hmm. But of course, it also sounds like, oh, every day I get to go to New York as a weekend kind Mm -hmm. of thing. That's what they were poking fun at. And I think now I would feel bad again, but I would be okay with it because it is true. Do you remember how you responded when they said that? I felt bad. Like, I I was like, oh, am I not allowed to go to New York? Is it horrible of me to go to New York with my family? So I felt really bad. And then I remember talking about it to another friend of mine. And she was like, you know, it is very lucky. You shouldn't be ashamed that you're lucky. You're just privileged that you get to go. And it's special that you get to go to New York. I'm like, you're right. I am very lucky to go. And so I guess that, I I don't know why, but it's just so vivid to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess for a person of color who's a woman, you don't get called on your privilege very much because there isn't yes. very much. And there. class can sometimes be, especially now, it's not as apparent as, like, I don't know, 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, fast chain fashion fast fashion Mm -hmm. you can look rich even though you're not and yeah I think class can sometimes be hidden and I think for me it is hidden it's just when you just look at me yeah it is hidden but when you learn more about what I do like went to university I got to go in exchange I get to travel a lot that is privileged Mm -hmm. and I think the way to if I were in your shoes and someone said that to me, and, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, I think the best way to deal with it is just to acknowledge, yeah, I am really grateful to go on this trip. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go on the trip. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if someone were to make that joke to me now, I feel like that would be my response, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I think there is, like, a little, like the initial reaction is like, meh, angry. But then I feel like it would just disappear right away too and be like, exactly what you said. Yeah. There's a yeah. difference between privilege and gratefulness. Yeah. And as long as you're grateful and you recognize that, I don't think we should allow the privilege to cloud the enjoyment too much as long as you recognize it mm-hmm. to a certain point because mm-hmm. even that as I'm saying it I realize that's also problematic to say but there's always a certain point to it yeah and what can you I, I guess this is something that I always reflect on is what can I what can I do with my privilege that can allow other underprivileged people to rise to the top mm-hmm yeah, and sometimes that's giving up your seat at the table yeah. on a panel or in a in a council or whatever it is, realizing that, oh, I'm privileged in whatever categories you're privileged in and realize someone else needs to take your spot. Yeah. And I guess just relating that back to whiteness mm. and white privilege and white jokes, I think you're you're saying it already where... Is it okay to talk about privilege or, like, to joke about privilege? Or to joke that all white people are ignorant? I think it's okay to 
name white privilege because it's not saying it's not their fault. Yeah. They were born privilege is something you're born into. It's it's unearned. Um what's the word? Privilege is unearned, um status? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's under it's it, you're born and you have that white privilege, right? So it's not like you're judging them for having it. It's not like they can get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't dye your skin. That's yeah. really bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like you... Oh, that's interesting. But yeah, you can't... You can't... You, you're, you have it. It's not like it's their fault. If you get into all white people are bad people, I know there are lots of people that feel that way. I don't feel that way. I don't mm-hmm. think all white people are bad people. No, I don't think so. Yeah, but I do know some left to people who feel like whenever a white person is involved in any conversation, it's problematic. Yeah. Oh, we also down. talked about that. Yes. Where a white person was giving a talk about X topic. Yeah. And then you, some people mentioned to you that, oh, she should not be talking because she's white. Mm. Do you remember that conversation? I don't remember the exact one, but I... I don't remember the exa- I remember the conversation. I don't remember the example that I was talking about. You're right because we can't just silence white people, and I think that only builds resentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this was I think maybe a similar example, maybe not an exactly the same one, but there was this panel that my friend went to, and the panel had a lot of white people on it, and they all went to the whole group of friends of them went to the panel, and then afterwards all they could say is well, that really sucks that it was all white people, or it was mostly white people. And my friend thought, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because, because that does just because you're a white person doesn't mean you can't speak to a, a lot of really great complexities. Like, how do you know that that white person didn't spend all their life in China, or like, grew up with African parents, or, you know, grew up anywhere where they have a really strong connection to whatever they're talking about. Yeah. There's privilege in that. Of course, they don't have the same oppression as someone who's actually Chinese or whatever. Um, But I think that it's possible for a white person to... But, like, just because you're a person of color doesn't inherently mean that you're a better speaker on food. Yeah than if you're a white person talking about food. Yes. Because that white person could have spent so much money on just, like, studying about it and gaining expertise and the skills to talk about food, whereas the person of color doesn't have that same toolkit. And, of course, like, maybe the reasons why they didn't get it could be because of, like, oppression and stuff. But the white person is still more qualified to talk about food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this really intersectional... Like, this is when intersectionality really comes into it. Yeah. Because is it, is it just the color of people's skin? Which I think is a really big conversation that's happening. Is that it's often, like, white. No, white person. Oh, my God, there's a white person. Get her off. Get him off get them off the panel because their opinions are not as valid as someone who's a person of color. But you have to look at all of the intersectionalities of that person's history and see, okay, but who's going to be able to speak to this the best? 
Yeah. Which is not an easy thing to value or to measure. To evaluate just on face value. What do you think of this example? Okay. Okay, so there was a talk happening in the community, and they had an indigenous person there, and they had some white people on the panel, and they wanted to do a land acknowledgement. And I, I know that one of the people, on, I think they did it maybe twice, for some reason I was able to compare the two. And the white person did this really great talk about partnering and recognizing colonization and past atrocities, current atrocities, recognizing that, pulling together, recognizing unceded land. Like, they did the whole thing. I don't know if it was the same event. Anyways, and then the indigenous person went up and wasn't able to articulate that, was kind of mumbling, um, don't think they were just very comfortable on a microphone, and so the message was lost and was kind of hard. Okay, what are you trying to say? Kind of was all over the place, didn't really have a clear anything. <laughs> yeah. And yet they were indigenous and they're talking about indigenous rights. We kind of got that because you, you know that that's what they're doing. But what's better? I think that is even more complicated because food is a... Comparing it to the other example when the white person and some person of color are talking about food. Food is more a neutral mm. topic. Whereas some one is talking about an experience of people and if that person who experiences it is there I feel like they should be able to talk about it however I think if a white person is able to say their positionality and make it clear that I am going to say this as a white settler who has lived in the land for whatever generations and make it clear that, you know, her family has made this kind of impact on indigenous land. I feel like it it's more credible um, because I'm guessing she has more skill in talking, mm -hmm. public speaking. And I think when you talk about that, you have to acknowledge your privilege when you talk about it. Right. So if you were monitoring that panel and you had to do an acknowledgement of land and only one person could do it, who would you have handed the microphone to? I think, I, well, okay. Well, first, I would have to talk to both of them and see where they come from. Or like, I need to make sure that, you know, the indigenous person needs to, like, her voice is heard. I'm guessing it's a her. There's a guy, but that's okay. Guy, okay. Um, I I just want to make sure that the guy, the indigenous guy, had voice or an opinion or some input on who should take the microphone or the lead with the land acknowledgement, and I think maybe working together to create that land acknowledgement would have been good. So you would have gotten the indigenous person to speak, but with with um mentorship leading up to the event? I think that's option one. Mm. Like, train him to become a better public speaker, to memorize, you know, whatever, the lines and stuff. Yeah. Or option two would be to um, create the land acknowledgement with the white person who could speak eloquently with the indigenous person. 
and make sure that, you know, she's not saying anything problematic. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I know. It's complicated. Everything in this world is complicated. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's complicated will be the title of this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. That's it for this conversation. But there's one last question that Emily needs to answer. At the end of every episode, I ask my friends what piece of media they've recently read, watched, or listened to that they would recommend to others. Since I started this podcast by thinking of ways to challenge mainstream media's representation of certain groups, I wonder what my friends say is a good piece of media that says something positive about us minorities. So, what did Emily say? I don't feel like there's something that represents half exp- or my personal half experience. Um, <clears throat> and you might think, well, that's because I'm half of two cultures. But also we've talked about in the past that even someone that looks all of one culture still has a complicated racial identity because yeah. they go back home and not speak with an America, American or like white North American. Accent. Yeah, white yeah. accent. I like that. And um, well, I guess you could be a European and still be white. Like you'd be like British or... Okay, North, North American. American. North American White accent. North American. Yes. Yes. White North American accent. Um to go back home and not speak the language and, and then feel like they don't belong there, but also feel like they don't belong here. So I didn't know if that was a complexity that only half people can't find something they relate to. Um, well, that specific experience, I don't think I've seen it on TV or, yeah. like, any pop culture. Yeah. So the only time I've seen half culture represented is the, is the, um, the mixed tag on YouTube. Oh. Like, you know there's boyfriend tag. Yeah. And, like, phone tag. And most likely <laughs> yeah. two tag. Hey, shout out. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, there's a mixed tag. And so there's a bunch of questions people have to answer as someone who's mixed. So I've seen a few of those. And that's been interesting. And, like, Facebook videos, people get, they get a bunch of mixed people together and talk about their experiences. Like, there's been those, but nothing that's really blown away. Like, this is my exact experience, because it's, it's so different. You can have a different mix, and it's a completely different experience. Um, that being said, there's a channel I really like on YouTube, which I think we briefly talked about, called Asian... Asian... Angry Asians? Angry Asian Americans. Okay. Um, I think they're part of ISA, which is part of Wong Fu. Or maybe not, and they just collaborated a lot. But it's Phil Chow and Jenny Wang, I think are their names. And they have this channel where they bring in people and talk about an issue with Asian Americans of that week. And I really like it because it also taps into the whole conversation that Asians are like docile, friendly, not angry people. Yeah. And it allows them to get angry. And they have this segment where they're, like, get angry, and they tend to have horns on their head. And they're like, <laughs> what are you angry about this this week? And so they talk about the issue. Then they have a chance to talk about something that made them angry, whether it's related to race or whether it's related to, like, someone walked down the street and said this thing to me, or someone sent me this really passive-aggressive email and it pissed me off. But just to show that, hey, we can be angry too. Yeah. And we can show that different side of us, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And breaking that stereotype, but doing it in a really accessible and yet still political way. I love accessible and political when those two are combined. 
All right. And that include includes that <laughs> concludes yes. our podcast for today. Thanks, Emily. No problem. And that wraps up this episode of Visible Minorities. Thank you to Emily for being on the podcast with me. If you liked listening to this conversation, there's one more episode available right now. After finishing that, you can catch an episode every Wednesday. So until then, we'll talk soon. Thank you.